Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Sail Faster series of podcasts. My name is Pete Boland, and I live in Washington, D.C., and I'm the skipper and owner of a J105 based in Annapolis. So in this series, we talk to those who spend their waking lives and probably their sleeping lives too, obsessing about how to sail faster than anyone else on the race course. We're going to find out how these top sailors got started in the sport, how they improved their performance over time, what they think about pre-race preparation, their favorite race strategies and tactics, their thoughts on crew management and pretty much everything else in between. And in doing so, maybe we can piece together thoughts on the winning formula for racing sailboats. Welcome to Sailfaster. Well, today it's our huge privilege to welcome Ray Wolf to the Sailfaster podcast. So Ray's a resident of Annapolis, but he cut his teeth racing lasers and 420s on Long Island Sound, actually, and um, also at the University of Rhode Island, where he, I think, won a silver medal in the Collegiate Keelboat World Championships. After university, Ray moved down to Annapolis, where he uh, pivoted to racing J22s, J70s, Melgis 32s, and uh, Far 40. And also, more recently, he's been racing IC37s, uh, representing the New York Yacht Club in 2019 and 2023 for the Rolex Invitational uh, Regatta. Uh, close to the home, though, Ray races his J105 called Patriot in the local Annapolis fleet. Uh, and he has won the Annapolis Nudes, Chesapeake Bay Championships, and most recently finished third at the 2023 North Americans in Rye, New York. Ray, so happy to have you on the Sail Faster. Thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, thanks for having me, Pete. I'm really looking forward to it. And you're joining us from a New York hotel room, I heard. I, I am. I'm up here at uh, at an event for the uh, for the week, and then uh, back to Annapolis soon enough. Oh, great, good, good. All right, let's get into this then. Um, um, first of all, Ray, you know, tell us about you. How did how did you get into sailing, and then and then racing? Like, how long ago was that? What's uh, the story? Know, it's it's a it's a great question, and I I credit my mother. Um, I did not growing up. I mean, this is eight, nine, 10 years old, I didn't want to read. I didn't want to read anything. And I was just having a really hard time with it. Mm. And my uncle had dropped off some sailing magazines because he was into it. And I started reading those. And my mother just saw it. Great. That's what he, he wants. That'll get him into reading. So she would, she would subscribe me to every sailing magazine there was and <laughs> everything that she could get her hands on. And this is before the internet, um, long before. And it was something that all of a sudden it was something I could excel at or something I could dream about. And that's something that at a certain point they, they, they got a sense of junior sailing. And I think it was mostly just to get us out of the house. Uh, I had two older sisters and my mother was a nurse who worked at night. So my father said anything that'll get him out of the house during the summer <laughs> so she can sleep all the better. And from there, um, did a little bit of junior sailing. It's not like the way it is today. I mean, today they do it seven days a week, it seems like. They have coaches, they have all these things. And this was just in the summer. And then, you know, in the fall, you went back to school and you dreamt about sailing until it started up again in June. Uh, where were you, Ray? Where, where were you? Where's this taking place? Yeah, yeah. I grew up in uh, Oyster Bay, Long Island, in New York. Oh, yeah. And um, everybody thinks about uh, Sawanica Corinthian, and that was the beautiful yacht club on the hill. And then there was Sagamore Yacht Club, this little, tiny, small yacht club with beat-up Blue Jays, and that's where I grew up. And uh, I've got some uh, just amazing stories growing up there. So, uh, no, that's that's how I got into to sailing and then um, decided, you know, let me go to 
a university that has a decent sailing team and, and you know, the rest is history. Yeah. I, I, I love how that started that you, <laughs> your, your mum bought you some sailing magazine to read. If it had been, um, baseball magazines, do you think you'd have, <laughs> you'd have had the same bug or? Oh, I was so uncoordinated. I mean, I couldn't hit a baseball. And they they were, my parents <laughs> were kind enough. Then I was like, okay, let's focus on soccer because it's a larger ball and that could be closer. And then, uh, because I could hit that. And from a sailing standpoint, it was something growing up in Oyster Bay. I mean, it's beautiful. And I think my dad always had a dream of cruising with the family and, and piling all the kids into a tiny 23 foot boat and doing that. So he, he was always the dreamer. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think between my parents saying, "Okay, get out of the house," you know, go go play in boats and capsize them, and my dad's dreams, I I, I don't think there was any other path. Hmm. All right, so so did once you started, was did sort of success in sailing and racing come naturally to you? Were you were you a natural at it? I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, it, it, a lot of it. This is um, you hear the ten thousand hours. I mean, this is something that. Junior sailing, I was good, but I was I wasn't great. Um, and then you go to you get out of that pond, and then you go off to university, and then you realize, wow, I'm really not good because there are some just amazing sailors. And and luckily, when I went to, I went to the University of Rhode Island, and we had just such a deep team. I mean, I think about how many either all Americans or an individual went to the Olympics to win a silver medal, and here's you know. Ray Wolf trying to just keep up with them. So I, I wouldn't say it came naturally at all. It was, it was mostly just uh, just learning and, and putting myself on much better boats that were much better than me and saying, anytime I could, I wanted to be on the water. For me, I find it a very humbling experience. You, you can have, uh, certainly at my end of the fleet, you, you can have no ego. You have to learn from others. And that can be quite irritating sometimes, but it does sound like you had um, a great cohort around you at uh, the university there of great sailors. Is that did you know? Did you learn from them? Did you pick up from them? Uh, what I learned, there's so many things that I did learn, and one thing that I learned was um, you're always just striving to get better. So um, mm. there was an individual there, uh, Lars Guck. He was just a tremendous sailor and still is, and. I said, you know, how do you how do you race to win? And his reaction was, you race to get better, and the winning is just a byproduct of it. And it wasn't he didn't say it that that eloquently, but uh, he was just saying, you know, you just got to get out there, get out there and practice. And it was just a, a a real mindset change. So not racing for the trophy, but more so racing to to get better and to have a better understanding. With it. Were there any? Can you remember any sort of step changes when you started doing something differently that then, you know, really pushed your accelerated your progress, or was it sort of more linear? Just curious. Um, you know what? There were there are two events. One was junior year, um, where uh, we won the Boston Dinghy Cup, and the, the reason we did was you know the last race of the last of the B division, and I beat an individual um, across the line and everybody had already left. They already thought this isn't going to happen. This is, this is, there's no way this is going to happen. And that just, that changed my trajectory a little bit. And hmm. secondly, I think when I, I came to Annapolis and um, I raced here in, in, uh, in college and bought a J22 and said, you know, I raced with a bunch of people in J22s and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do this right. So I found a 22 
uh, had it worked on um, up in uh, on the Cape by an individual who's just a master at it. And then I found the best J-22 sailor in the country, uh, this individual, Terry Flynn, a, a great person. And um, he lived in Texas, and but his sister lived in Annapolis. So I said, you know, uh, this is Terry Flynn. And I said, hey, uh, I'll buy some sales for me if you come up and you can visit your sister and I'll buy an airplane ticket because I, I didn't have two nickels to rub against each other. And that, um, again, just brought it to another level. And he taught me how to sail a J-22 properly. And at the time, I mean, there was amazing. We had a 30-boat fleet, and it was just a, a, another big stepping stone for me. What was, it, what was the most rewarding part of sailing for you, when you either today or back then? Um, you talked about um, winning a regatta there. But what for you was the most rewarding part of it? You know what? I, I don't know... If it's as is a rewarding thing, but from a perspective, like we all have, you know, we have work lives, we have family lives, we have so many things going on. And when I'm out racing, I forget about everything. It could be the worst day at work, the worst day weather-wise, or not weather-wise, because I'll just go out there in horrible conditions. But you could just be having the worst day and you get out on the water and you start sailing and you, and you start racing and you forget about everything. And all you want to do is try to make that boat go faster or go to the right, correct side of the course. And uh, that's probably, I'd say that's the most rewarding thing for me with sailing. Let's just talk about um, how you think about performance and, and preparation and so on. For you, what, what have been the sort of key success factors behind um, being a winning sailor? And, you know, obviously there's having the right equipment, having the right boat, cleaning it, having the right mindset doing the right preparation and, you know, obviously having the right crew. Uh, would you agree those are, are there more? Um, if there's one thing, what would it be? So I'm asking you a couple of things there, Ray. Yeah. I mean, with all things being equal, I mean, okay, the boat preparation, I'm, I'm pretty fanatical about that um, because I just don't want to leave any stone unturned. Um but it does come down to the people you're sailing with. I mean, when I uh, transitioned to the J105, I mean, you have six people on board, but you need a bench of many more people because not everybody, I mean, it's an amateur class. You, you have to respect people's time. And so you want to make sure that you can bring some uh, people who will work with you really, really, really well. And uh, the crew that I have, the, I'll call them the A-team, for every other regatta, we we plug in people in various places, but hopefully we have one or two people who are from that group, and um, I think that raises the bar. It changes it 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 takes out a variable, and having that deep bench and not being afraid of say, saying, "Hey, okay, let's try somebody out, or let's let's bring a junior sailor on board, or let's let's try a new um, either a new technique or something like that." So I think that's that's the key thing for me. I think about crew work or who's going to be on the boat um, long, long before events. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, we're recording this in November. I'm thinking about the nude in April or May and saying, Hmm, I wonder what the crew compose. How am I going to compose the crew for that? Who do you think could be around? Because, you know, like I said, you've got to respect people's time and, and their, their efforts and you want to get the best team on the boat. Do you rotate people around or do you pick, okay, this person's a brilliant, you know, jib trimmer, that's what they're going to do. She or he's going to do that every single race. Or do you, do you rotate people? Just curious. You know what? I think it depends. Um, it depends on like my, my math person, Tyler Raven, he's six foot seven, dear Lord. 
but there was a regatta. It, it, he's tremendously tall. He pulls up the spinnaker in four pulls. But there was a regatta this summer wow. um, that uh, we didn't have a jib trimmer and a spinnaker trimmer. I said, hey, Tyler, do you mind doing that? And we'll find another mast person. And he said, absolutely. And then after the regatta, he came to me and said, oh, my gosh, there was a di- that was such a different perspective. I, I can really appreciate this. And this will help me with my math, with uh, the other work that he does. Hmm. Hey, one thing I'll pick up, you, you said um, uh, race preps, um, you're fanatical about it. What's, what's that look like for you? What do, what do you typically do before a, before a race? Um, you know what? It, I'm not going to talk about, uh, about the boat itself, but more so um, from a wind conditions, from a current conditions, um, when is the tide going to change? And uh, that's something that's been a real uh, learning experience for me this year is understanding that if there's a current change, typically there's a there's a, going to be a persistent shift. Which way it's going to go, I'm not really sure. But um, so watching the wind and watching the the trends as it leads up to a regatta, so that it's not a surprise. Um, that's something that I, I I do a lot of homework on, hmm. uh, and that'll change how you know how we're going to sail the boat, how we're going to practice before the race. Uh, how much food we're going to bring, how much liquids we're going to bring. Um, and uh, it, it, it's all accretive. Are there, um, you know, b- before, uh, before the race, are, are there decisions that you're, that you're making? Uh, are there big decisions that you make um, before or, or you know, in the early part of the race? I guess in, um, in some fleets it might be deciding which jib they bring, what size. One design racing, we're a lot tighter than that. But are there... Th- are there decisions that you make, you know, before you step on the boat or as you're leaving the leaving the slip, that set um, set the strategy for the the race that's upcoming, or is it more organic than that? Um, you know what, it, it's not as much of a setup standpoint, but knowing my knowing the fleet and saying to the crew, this is how we're going to approach this race day or this regatta. So, for example, um, if someone's racing in the Wednesday night series um, and there's, let's say, 25 105s, the levels of ability on the 105s is pretty varied. And so, you know, from a starting standpoint, things may be not be as predictable. And you may, I tend to be a little bit more conservative in those just because in, in like a chess match, you understand, hey, if I do this, they do this. Well, that may not be the case in, in those type of races. Um, we just wrapped up the G105 North Americans and it's pretty predictable what people will do. It's that you expect them to do, Oh, if I do this, they're going to do this. And so as a crew, we'll approach that type of race differently. Um, and it's, uh, it's fascinating to see the, the, the difference between the two, because if you, if you race the same way um, on either one of those regattas, um, you, it, it's, it becomes even more challenging. Hmm. That's that's so it's really interesting. So the 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 more varied the fleet is in terms of ability, experience, whatever it is, performance, I, w- I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, at one end of that, the when it comes to uh, perhaps a, a more widely um, spread fleet in terms of um, performance, the, the, the people do things that are completely unexpected, which is probably our boat actually. But, but <laughs> um, can you expand on that a little bit more? Because that's just really interesting. Yeah. Um, so for example, if you're coming up to a starting line, I've seen, um, uh, let's say it's a, a Wednesday night and you see a giant pile up at the committee boat. Why? 
because it's there, not even if it's favored or not. <laughs> and um, you look over and say, you know, there's going to be one boat that's going to make it out of there and look like a rock star. I don't want to bet on being that that one boat. I'd much rather slide down the line and say, look, I'm going to focus on uh, boat speed, a quiet tiller, and not try to mix it in that um, that scrum. Whereas, let's say in a in a larger event with a longer beat, um, and you know you're not fighting for something a mark that's a half a mile away, you're fighting for a mark that's 1.7 miles away. The start isn't as important. You just want to be clean, and um, you just uh, if it's a side is favored, you can be on that side of the starting line, but you don't necessarily have to win it. It's very rare that you win, let's say, the win the pin and win the boat and you win the race. It's very rare. Um, it's more so, okay, how fast are you going right off the line? Yeah, the, the I mean, the start is absolutely crucial. You know, you can see that, that, uh, that I, I realize that, you know, a, a, a good start is absolutely fundamental to having any chance of being in the top half of the fleet um you know when by the time you get to the weather mark uh, notwithstanding other things that happen and uh, so w- w- you know we we have we've been working on just trying to have one starting strategy mm-hmm. uh, you know port tack port tack approach tack it 60 seconds as jason curry would tell me and then and then head for a, a gap in the line and just trying to do that over and over again but i do see those who hit it at speed and uh, and they're off they've got that mm-hmm. clear air and it's that's worth so many boat lengths by the time you get to the top mark. So. And that's something um, when I, I did some, I've done a bunch of racing in IC 37s and we were videotaping our starts from on, on, on the boat. And I was moving the tiller back and forth so much. And I didn't realize it until I saw the video and realizing that a J one five's rudder is huge. I mean, it's nearly bigger than a far forties and having a very quiet tiller, means that if I'm moving the tiller a lot, I'm slowing the boat down. The less I drive, the faster we go. It's, 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 it's rare in a sport where, you know, the less the driver does, the faster you go. It's like, wait a minute. Um, and it's, it, once you see that and you see a video of yourself, and I mean, this is a little GoPro video, and you, you just, you, you, you're amazed by it. You say, man, I, didn't, I had no idea I was doing that. Well, you are. <laughs> and it's pretty humbling. Yeah, I, I find... Uh... You know, coming off the start line, we 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 we're getting better and better starts as as you you, you know you should do. But um, for me, my my team's telling me, okay, foot, 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 don't pinch, foot, foot, and there's that every instinct is screaming at you to go high, right, to try and squeeze people off. But uh, but it's all about speed for those first few minutes, and that's that's for a uh, you know new uh, driver, that's hard to get your head around because you're looking for height but of course it's speed over height at that point uh mm-hmm. it's quite an interesting uh, uh trying to I'm, I'm sure you can't remember uh when you were in that phase of learning how to do it but it's uh it's hard well it, absolutely and and one of the things that we are, are fanatical about when you were talking about setup and I, I i glossed over this is when there's nobody around and you set up the sails and they look absolutely perfect and everything looks good and you have uh, someone even off the boat saying, oh, that's that's the way the sail should be. And we'll mark the sheets so that in a in a in a heat of the moment, we don't over trim the jib or over trim the main or, or have our settings wrong, because then it's almost like starting a stick shift car in third. 
And by the time someone figures out, oh, the jib is too tight, oh, the main is too tight, or the backstay is too tight or too loose or whatever, by the time you figure that out, you're you're you know back in P11, and the boat isn't going fast. And then you go, oh shoot, we we know better. So we mark the the heck out of our sheets, hmm. um, and and are pretty fanatical about that, so that we're always we know this is a fast setting. This is um, if if you know, take about, take out all the other variables. If we know nothing else, we know the sales will look right at this setting. What do you think you do differently from others? Um, you know what we, I came from the, uh, doing a bunch of sailing in J seventies. And when I, uh, when I bought a J one Oh five, um, I noticed no one was in hauling the jib. They really weren't. And, um, so we dropped the jib lead back almost eight inches. And then we, um, the lured jib sheet and the car. And then we inhaul the weather sheet almost to the handrail. And it is, it's amazing because you can have that winch on the weather side and you can feel it in the helm and you say, okay, I can ease this a little bit. Let me bring this in a little bit more. And as a result, people think we pinch. And once they get on the boat, they say, wow, you're not pinching. It's just a different setup. So hmm. we run a, a flatter main and jib it's not a custom design. It's right off the right off the shelf at Quantum, and we run a um, a North Kite because they're they're it's just a it's a little bit more forgiving. It's a little bit easier to trim, and I think those two things are just a, a great combination for us. Yeah, uh, Jason Curry came on board a couple of times uh, this uh, from Quantum um, this year, and you know showed us how to inhaul, and you, you get three or four degrees pointing higher. It's quite remarkable mm-hmm. um so yeah we've learned to uh we've learned to do the same thing so it makes um it makes obviously quite a big difference yeah. uh, even when even when we do it um, no, it makes a huge difference and just having a very quiet tiller and um trying to just not steer too much but uh, i mean that's that's pretty easy to say but it's, it's harder to do well i love that expression a quiet tiller that's um that, that's something i learned as well that um uh, we have a wheel actually, which I, which is probably a little bit, maybe a little bit different from the, the tiller. But I, I'm just, I've seen and learned from others. Just don't steer. Just keep mm-hmm. it, keep as straight as you can, and turn as slow as you can. Because it's, it's a barn door, isn't it? Really, that you're oh, putting absolutely. into the water flow. Uh, do you have a favourite starting strategy? Is there, is there one that you practice over and over again that you think, okay, this is, let's pull this out of the bag. Um, say at the at the nationals versus a Wednesday. Just curious if there's there's always a go to favorite starting strategy for your for your crew. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of evolved. Um, the the starting strategy that you talked about earlier, if when you're coming in and coming in on port and tacking on a hole, if um if I know that you have to get left, and many times on the bay, um, it's a because of current you would have to go left or have to go right. Um, we would employ something like that. What we've been migrating to is almost setting up at a minute 30 and just sailing uh, a little higher and just have very quiet tiller and just working on our time and distance. So we're not doing a lot of maneuvers in the last minute and a half um, because it's the boat weighs, I don't know, I think 7,500 pounds. And um, it's, 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 some people have described it as a dump truck with four flat tires in trying <laughs> to accelerate. And if you can just keep the, the, the rudder quiet and the foils working, 
you'll accelerate that much better. So I've been kind of migrating towards that a little bit more, not doing a maneuver and just staying on an upwind course. And um, believe it or not, not defending someone who's coming in on port and tacks under me because very few people can make that stick. So they usually tack under you and then they sail away from you because they're, they tack, they're, they're going too fast. Um, so I, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that was a very good answer to your question, but hopefully, hopefully it was. No, no, I, I like that. Um, so for, so the last minute and a half, you're, um, you're trying to head to the line and accelerate to full speed rather than, uh, making a couple of maneuvers that get you from four knots to two knots sort of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, that's what I'm hearing. Um, so, so, um, what's your, uh, what's your focus during a race? What are you looking for at different points of the race? Is it always the same thing? I'm always looking for, you know, if you're driving telltales, getting information from wind shifts, et cetera, competition, but is it, is there anything that you particularly focus on at a particular uh, time of the race, at particular parts of the race? Um, going back and we, we, um, well, if I'm doing tactics, one thing I'll do is I'll, I'll always write the headings on either board on a piece of tape on the boom so everybody can actually see it. So as the shifts are happening, they can see them as well. But mm-hmm. as, a, as a driver, I think it's um, I'm listening very ke- keenly to the, the people calling the breeze and saying if there's a puff or if there's a light spot, because then I can almost adjust to them or if there's a lot of waves and say, OK, um, how am I going to keep this boat going fast the whole time? Um, what am I focusing on? That's a, a lot of the, for downwind really been pivoting to making sure there's almost no helm pressure. So J one Oh fives love just a little bit of weather heel kite rotates over to weather. And more importantly, and this is something Warren Richter taught me, um, the, the rudder becomes completely neutral and the boat goes faster. And the next thing you know, you can go lower. So now you're going lower and faster by just rocking a little bit to weather hmm. and just really finding that fine line. Um, so I, I think those are, those are two of the things and I agree with you on a light air day. I mean, by the end of it, I have a headache. I've been focusing so much. I just need water and maybe a diet Coke in the middle of the race. So I can just not have a raging headache by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, you have a tiller boat, right? I'm guessing. Yeah. 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 It's hard with the wheel and especially with my experience to, to sort of feel a certain extent, but when you're going downwind, it's hard to get any feel from the wheel at, uh, at all i guess until a slightly uh, slightly better feel for that i i guess i mean uh, jack biddle who used to own a rum puppy when it was a, when it was new i mean he was a master at sailing downwind and he had a wheel and i think mm. it's because he just didn't steer much and he just did it on a little bit of boat speed and he could just feel the boat and have some grip to it yeah. um yeah. so I, I i almost feel that wheels downwind are, are, are not a disadvantage at all. Um, if anything, when it's very, very choppy in some times it can be an advantage because you're not getting, but I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that I, that I can't use my wheel as an excuse for not doing great. Uh, uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can, we can edit that out. Don't you? <laughs> we'll keep it in. Um, people who know me know that. Um, Hey, well, I want to talk about crew and, um, your leadership style. Um, because this is, this is a team sport, right? Mm-hmm. Where you really need you, you're you can be the best sailor in the world. You can be Paul Kayard or something, but if you have a crew who are not with you or in tune with you or um, have a sense of team, then it's a huge drag. So I was curious about um, what do you think your 
leadership style is like? How would you describe it? Um, again, finding the best people I can and let them do their jobs and giving them f- constructive feedback of what I feel in the helm. So what they can do, the one thing they can't feel is the helm that I can come back to and say, I've got too much helm or I have no helm or I have, um, it feels, I'll say grumpy or I feel things just don't feel X, Y, and Z or things feel great so that then they can do their jobs. Um, and just leaning on them and saying, Hey, you know, paint a picture, paint a picture, what's going on. Um, so it, it really depends on who's on board, but letting them do their job and letting them know um, what the next maneuver is. And what I mean by that pre-start, we'll talk about, you know, tacking here and coming out at a broad reach so that now everybody knows what's going to happen next. It's not just in my head um, or being verbal of just saying, okay, this set and extend, have the tactician saying, okay, we're going to set and extend or we're going to set protect the jibe so that everybody knows every it's not a it's not a secret and there's no surprises and i think that's where you get a you, you get the best out of people and also not being afraid of saying hey let's let's bring a new person and try them out and see what they can do and and try to learn from other boats how, how do you do that how do you um how do you integrate a new crew member um what we'll tend to do is just say you know this is how we sail the boat mechanically and we have pretty distinct roles and responsibilities and it comes down to respect. Um, so if someone's, you know, barking one way or the other and like, Hey, everybody here is a good sailor. So we're not going into the, you know, the, the wall of Talladega, 200 miles an hour. Let's everybody <laughs> relax. And, uh, you could probably run faster than we're sailing. So we've got, <laughs> we've got some time to figure this out. Um, and, and know that everybody can contribute. Everybody has something to contribute. I know I forgot to ask you because we talked about this earlier about um, are there other conditions that you love when you look at your wind alert and you think, oh, it's going to be 50 knots, 20 knots, two knots. You know, are there conditions that you think, oh, that's, that's, this, is, this is in our groove today? Anytime it's, anytime it's windy, I absolutely adore it. Hmm. When it's windy, it's just oh, everything about it. When it's windy, um, either the boat can come alive or you know that you've got the You've got the boat prepared. You've got a great crew and, and just, and being, we're, we tend to be more conservative when it's really windy and it pays off. And I, I love it. I love it when it's windy. Yeah. This, the, when you're on a J105, you're going downwind and you hear the, the, the hull start to throb and sing a bit because mm-hmm. you're at the, on the edge of, you know, control as we had at the, the end of the season regattas. That's it's that thing where it's it's terrifying, absolutely shitting myself, but it's marvelous as well, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's what brings cool. you back. It, it's yeah. what brings you back. I'm going to make this last question actually. We, we spent some time. Um, in the off season, oh, well, I, I guess, is there an off season for you? Do you switch off? Do you park the boat, take it out the water, and you um, uh, you turn? Um, you know what? When when my boat's done for the season, what I'll tend to do is either do race committee work. Or if there's another boat sailing, I'll hop on their boat and see if I can learn. So this weekend I'll be sailing with um, Velvet Hammer uh, with uh, Brian and Chrissy Robinson. And then the very next weekend I'll be running the race committee for Frostbiting. So, um, and, and again, one thing that's fantastic, another hobby that uh, getting the juices going is, you know, 1030 at night on Saturday nights in America, uh, you can watch the 18-footer racing in Sydney Harbor that's broadcast live. 
and watch that. Um, and it's just fantastic to watch it and just gets the, the juices flowing and say, hmm, I can't wait till the season starts again. Yeah, so, I didn't didn't know that. I, I've, I've started watching the on YouTube the old um, America's Cup races from the 1980s, you know, Connor and I uh, can't remember who the – I should know who the Australian skipper is, but that's fascinating seeing – on a big race course that match racing playing playing out yeah uh, oh, and, and for that race people don't realize i think the weather mark it was a five mile weather leg and i i didn't know that as a kid and they're like oh there's halsey hershoff's the navigator i'm like the navigator why is why do they need a navigator well the weather <laughs> legs five miles away I'm like what it's got a so, sextant out <laughs> no it's it's pretty funny yeah yeah Okay, great. And um, um, hey, the standard sail faster question: Do you have a favorite post-race bar or restaurant or cafe? Or oh, uh, that's a good question. I think it depends. If I, I'll say if it's in a, if it's in Newport, going to Zelda's. Uh, if it's in Annapolis, it's the Annapolis Yacht Club. And uh, yeah, I would say those two things for sure. Uh, the yeah, the, the Annapolis Yacht Club is absolutely gorgeous, isn't it? It's. Uh... Quite incredible. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, Zelda's is a great place in downtown and uh, downtown Newport. So hmm. yeah, one or the other. Great, uh, Ray. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate. It. I know you're a busy guy, so this was really, really super interesting. And um, I think um, I'll see you on the water if you're doing the frostbite on Velvet Hammer. Just uh, look behind you, and you'll <laughs> see us. To hear more of our conversations about racing sailboats, make sure you subscribe to the Sail Faster series wherever you get your podcasts, or go to sailfaster.net to sign up and learn more. Thanks for listening, and see you on the water.